Pilate says, what is truth? And um, <laughs> how often have we echoed those words as we listen to the latest uh, rambling of someone who's supposed to know that says the same, says it comes out with a tenth different story. Um, and we wonder what are we supposed to believe anyway. But someday, someday, that day will come when truth will be truth. And um, the world as we know it will, uh, will not exist. Uh, and, and I say not exist, it will not, it will not exist in the, uh, we won't have these, we won't have people telling untruths as truths. We won't have the engines of war and commotion anymore. Those things are going to be over. While we look forward to that time, and uh, we call it heaven. We call it heaven. Now, we're not sure, or at least I'm not sure, where all heaven is going to be. Um, the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And it says that the tabernacle of God is with men. It doesn't say the tabernacle, tabernacle of men is with God. I find that fascinating. So uh, we imagine heaven being up there, and, and, and in one sense it is. I imagine maybe, maybe we'll be able to fly and we'll be able to go between planets and all that stuff. I don't know. What will it be like? Whatever the case is, we're going to be with Jesus, and uh, that's what's going to make it heaven, I think. Wherever he takes us, he's going to be there, and, um, and that's going to be good. But now, um, the, uh, there was a rich man that came to Jesus, and um, he asked what he can do to get to heaven. And in the process of things, Jesus makes this statement to his disciples. He says, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is Matthew chapter 19. You can turn in your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 19 if you like for our passage this morning. And I'd like to talk this morning about how a rich man enters heaven. How does a rich man enter heaven? Jesus said it was practically impossible. But then he says with God, all things are possible. Now, we often look at this passage alone and we wonder, are we too rich? Or we try to define rich or we make excuses and say, well, everyone in America is rich. Or we might look at each other and say, boy, I don't know what it's like to be rich, but I'd sure like to try it and find out what it's like. I'd like us to ponder this morning, what does Jesus really say? What is his point? 
And, um, and, and I'm personally convinced that often we have missed the point of the passage. Matthew chapter 19, I'd like to start reading at verse 16 and read to the end of the passage, end of the chapter. And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, what is entering into life? Going to heaven, being with Jesus forever. That's what he's talking about. Same thing we've been talking about here. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said to him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God, of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that has forsaken houses or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Now, I, I can't help but get the feeling that for everything I currently understand about this passage, I'm still missing an awful lot. So what I intend to share with you this morning is, is what I believe to be the heart of Jesus and, and what's happening in this passage. And yet, when I get done, I can't tell you that I've told you everything that there is in here because I know I haven't. There's just so much more to, uh, to this passage, I think, than what, what easily meets the eye. Well, um, as, this, as we see this story unfold, we find this young man coming to Jesus and he asks uh, this question that I think is probably has been or is on the mind of every one of us and that is how am I going to get to heaven? How am I going to get to heaven? He's, and he comes to Jesus, he says, what good thing shall I do? Now, Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. And uh, I, I think 
the reason it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven is because of the way a rich man thinks. He asked the question, what good thing shall I do? See, that's, that's uh, problem number one right there is the deception of self-effort. Um, you see, he, he wanted to go to heaven. He, um, he, he had the same quest that we have. It's a reasonable desire, especially when you consider the alternative. But he was looking for a thing to do. What good thing shall I do? All his life he had been trying to do. Because you see, that's what rich men do. They're doers. They make a plan and they carry them out. That's what rich men do. That's how they think. That's why they're rich. They don't just let life happen. They don't just depend upon somebody else. They go and do something. And, uh, and that works in this life. That works in material things, but it doesn't work when it comes to getting to heaven. For a rich man to enter heaven, he has to think differently from a rich man. Because self-effort needs to go. In John 6, verse 28, they said to come to Jesus and said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. How is that doing something? That you believe in him whom he has sent. You see, that is, that is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. He has already prepared the way. He is the way. He, he paid the penalty for our sins. And you see, as we as we, um, as we believe in, in him and his deity and his provision for our salvation and his power to change us and his power to keep us. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That is God's plan. Now, some people, of course, they, they treat this grace as cheap grace. as they, they treat it like some of us tend to treat our stimulus checks. It's, oh, great, we got some extra money in the bank. Now we can, uh, now we can uh, you know, spend that on the stuff we, we, we normally buy, and we have some extra money to spend on something else. And so it's, it's sort of like, well, this is just, just, this is great. Now I got a free ticket to heaven. I can just sort of live my life the way I want to. But that is, that is a wrong, very wrong perspective. Um, we must understand that this grace, this provision that Jesus made, it's not just a free ticket. It's not just fire insurance. It is our very life. It is, it is how we exist. It is how we live. Without it, we are nothing. If we want to get to heaven, we need to beware of the deception of self-effort. And so Jesus, uh, he, Jesus points to the law. He says, well, if you want to get to heaven, 
then keep the commandments. Now the commandments have a, uh, there, there's a purpose for the commandments besides telling us what is right and wrong. I think God provided the commandments for a very specific reason, and that is to prove to us that we can't keep them. Have you ever tried? It works, don't it? You get going a little bit, the next thing you know, smack, right smack on your face. You just don't do good, do you? But this guy, he thought he did. He, you know, he points to the commandments, and he says, well, which ones? And Jesus gives him a list of the Ten Commandments. What happens when you go down to the Ten Commandments and ask, did I, did I always keep those? Well, we say, well, obviously I didn't. You know, it, it, so he says, obey your, obey your parents. How many of you have ever disobeyed your parents? Let me see your hands. Come on. How many of you ever disobeyed your parents? Sure you did. And um, he says, I've kept all of these from my youth up. Wow. The delusion of pride. You see, in his mind, he was perfect. But the justification by the law requires 100% performance and none less. Remember, um, remember what the scripture says is if we have kept the law in every point and we mess up in one, we're guilty of everything. You either get it all right or you get none of it right. You see, the, the pitfall of riches is the delusion that I have whatever it takes to do what I need to do. I know how to do it right. If others would only be smart like me, then they could get it right too. And it's a, it's a confidence in personal perfection. I believing my performance is satisfactory. Uh, there would be no reason that God is not pleased with me. We might even get to the place where we think that when God got me, he got a pretty good deal. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Isaiah got it right. When he saw God, he says, woe is me, for I am undone. And you see, if a rich man is going to get to, have, is going to, get to heaven, he's going to have to see God and see himself the way he really is. And he'll confess with Isaiah, woe is me, for I am undone. Romans chapter three, verse nine says, what then, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. Well, maybe you have wondered like I have wondered, well, um, am I not seeking God? How do I fall in this place of not seeking God? He says, none have sought God. So what does he mean? Well, let me ask you the question. Did you seek God first or did God seek you first? 
God sought you first. God sought me first. That's why I seek God, because God sought me. And he called me to seek him. And, um, and that's why you seek God. That's why your, your heart longs after God and, and wants to know God. It's because God first came and touched you. We love him because he first loved us. You see, the delusion of my perfection and my wisdom and my sufficiency must be replaced. with a realistic understanding of my frailty, my failure, my need for forgiveness, and wisdom outside of myself. <clears throat> See, we wonder sometimes about Paul, haven't we, when he says, but I've labored more abundantly than they all. He's talking about all the other apostles. Isn't that pride? Well, listen how he finishes up. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. Where did it come from? It didn't come from him. It came from outside of him. He was just the, he was just the vessel. He was just what God used. And if we are to see God, then we need to also um, understand that when I've done everything that should be done, I will confess I've only done which is what, what is my duty to do. And it hasn't been me doing it alone. It's been the grace of God in me that does the work. There is the deception of self-effort. There is the delusion of pride. And then there is the deceitfulness of control. The deceitfulness of control. It's mine. It's mine. And so Jesus touches him on, on, in, in the one place where he knew it would hurt, and that was his pocketbook. He said, if you really want to be perfect, go get rid of everything and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And, um, and he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. Now, like I say, there's a lot about this passage I think I still am not getting. But um, I'd like us to think about the fact that that there is a deceitfulness of control. When I have something, it's mine. My house, my wheels, my family, my dreams, my... You put your thing in there. It's mine. Is it mine? See, John D. Rockefeller was like that. He drove life hard, and he was determined he was going to be successful. He became a millionaire at 33, a billionaire at 53. But he developed a sickness that caused him to lose his hair, 
and his appetite. He could only eat milk and crackers. He had long since lost his smile. He enjoyed nothing, and he couldn't sleep. The doctor said he would die within a year. The media was already writing his obituary with a certain amount of glee. One sleepless night, a bit of light dawned into his heart, and he, re and he realized that all of these things he was not going to be able to take with him when he died, and he made a choice. And from that day on, he began to use the things that he had for the blessing of mankind. Now, I don't know what all he understood at that point, um, I don't have any, I didn't go looking for it either. I don't have any evidence that he found God that night. I don't know. I simply don't know. I don't know anything about his history other than this little bit. But what I do know is that something changed in, in Mr. Rockefeller that night. And, um, everyone's predictions failed. He regained his health and he died at the ripe old age of 98 years old. He learned what he did learn what is, is that accumulation and riches are not the source of happiness. Accumulation and riches are not the source of happiness. Rather, joy comes through letting go. But often when a rich man gives up things or gives away things, he often wants to keep a level of control. A, uh, who gets it, how it's used. And some of those things we, are, we have a certain amount of responsibility for, the things God gives us. But there is an aspect of the Christian life, if we are to get to heaven, that Jesus tells us that we need to just let go. We need to open our hands to him and let him decide. To go to heaven, a rich man needs to relinquish control. Now Jesus said in Luke 14, or what king um, going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all he has cannot be my disciple. You see, a rich man somehow thinks that when he comes up before God and, and he stands between him and God, he has something. And um, I'm telling you this morning that when you come before God, you, are, you have nothing. You can't, um, you know, the, 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 the reality is, is when we come before God, we're empty. We have nothing to offer. And um, the there is no way for our opinion to win against God's opinion. There is no way for my righteousness to meet God's satisfaction. My only hope 
My only hope is to accept his condition of peace. And he has given conditions of peace. And if we are wise like this man making war, we will come to him and we will accept his conditions. And part of his condition is that Jesus says we must forsake everything to be his disciple. We must give it up. That is, we must relinquish control of what we are, what we have, and what we dream to be. How many of you have not dreamed of things? And as especially those of you over 50, let's say, and you've looked back and you've said, you know, the things I dreamed, they didn't all turn out the way I hoped they would turn out. I think a lot of us would say, yes, that's, that's where we are. Even now we dream of things and how much control do we have over the things that we dream of? Very little. We have a certain amount, but not but only so much. But if we want to if we want to be in heaven with him someday, then we need to accept his his um, his conditions, his lordship over our lives. To be a child of God, to be a disciple of Jesus, to get to heaven, we need to let go of our earthly treasures and personal control of our lives. So how do we get to heaven? How does a rich man get to heaven? Why is it so hard for a rich man to get to heaven? Because his way of thinking doesn't fit with the way to get there. For a rich man or for anyone to enter heaven, he must give up his self-effort. Now, I... The uh, some people would would reinterpret what I'm saying and say, well, that means that we don't have to do anything. Well, Paul tells us that we are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. It goes on like that. And I think that what we're talking about is something different than that. You see, that is an outworking of faith. God expects our faith to work out in our lives. But that is different than than trying to get to heaven with self-effort. See, it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven because he's used to doing things on his own and you can't get to heaven that way. A rich man must give up his pride. Pride and riches often go together, perhaps not always, but often. We cannot hold on to pride and expect to get to heaven. Jesus called a little child and set him in the midst and said, Assuredly, I say to you, except you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He must hold his stuff with an open hand. Following Jesus must be a priority. Jesus 
um, turns to the multitudes and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sister, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And if um, you are like me, you have looked at that verse and said, well, why does Jesus say we are to hate our parents? What kind of sense does that make? Well, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think he was saying is, is um, especially you little children might ask a question like that. He's saying that when you grow up and, and you become a Christian and if, if you ever are in a situation where you have to choose between obeying God and obeying your parents, you need to obey God. And, and that happens in lots and lots of situations as we are um, in our lives. We sometimes have to make the choice between doing what makes one person happy or makes someone happy or what makes us look good and what God says. And when we come to those choices, we always need to choose on the basis of what God says, what make God happy. He says your own life also. So um, our own life, the things that make us happy, the things that make us look good, the make us, things that make us feel good, those things need to be set aside to please God. And that's why it's so hard for a rich man to enter heaven because the way he thinks naturally is not the way that you get to heaven. So how do you think? How do you think? How do I think? Do you think? Do we think as a rich man or as a child? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in Jesus do you think God got a good deal when he got to you? And that you're a pretty good person? And if you, as the old story goes, if you came up to heaven's gate and St. Peter was standing there, and if he asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Would you talk about all the good stuff that you've done and how you... Um, um, how you kept the church standards and how you uh, obeyed your parents and how you were a pretty good guy and you did all this good stuff. And, um, or would you know that the only reason that, that, that God would let you in would be the blood of Jesus? Do you consider the gifts that God has given you to be your own? Or have you offered yourself a living sacrifice to God. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me can my, cannot be my disciple. Really, the choice is simply this. It's me or it's Jesus. The question is, will I choose my way or will I choose Jesus' way? Will I trust my way or will I trust his way? Will I ever trust my ability 
or will I rely on his ability? Am I rich in heart or am I poor in spirit? And I remember that he says that the poor in spirit will have the kingdom of heaven. <laughs>